The Evolved Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Hello, I am Warren Munson, founder of Inspire and Evolve, and my guest on this episode of the Evolve to Succeed podcast is Matthew Barker, Managing Director of Bark Group. Among other things, in this episode, we'll hear Matthew explain how after 10 years in the family business, he felt he needed to break out and ended up buying the business for himself from his father. It, it had become, I, I wouldn't say intolerable, but I was desperate to get on and and really open my wings myself. And I felt very, very constrained. What gave him the resilience to carry on after an electrical fire burnt his laundry to the ground in 2005? A fear of failure, I think. Um, or, or is it stupidity? How attending a Tony Robbins course in Fiji turned his life around after some difficult times. It gave me a slap around the face about how I was handling my life. Self-realisation tools, um, definitely um, how to look after myself, health, wealth, well-being. So uh, how to look after myself, um, so important. It's the foundation of everything. And where he gets his inspiration from after more than 20 years as a business owner. I think it's the stuff around the business. I'm still driven for us to be the best at whatever we're doing. I believe that we are in our industry um, the best. Yeah, that's been hard fought and I want to keep that. So that keeps me going. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, Matt, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, well, nice to nice to have you on as a guest this week on the uh, podcast. Uh, as ever, really, during the course of the podcast, going to quiz you on your journey, uh, your journey in business, your journey in life, and see how it's changed and evolved along the way. So... I uh, thought we'd just kick off with um, knowing a little bit about your history and bits and pieces. Your plan was never really to get into the laundry dry cleaning business, was it? That's right. Yes. I mean, I, I uh, you probably it's easy to imagine that um, the laundry business and dry cleaning isn't something really that you grow up really wanting to do. It's not a uh, an ambition. I wasn't at school thinking I really want to be a laundryman. Um, no, I think my first real ambition when I came out of school, really spending years not knowing what I wanted to do, um, I loved writing and I enjoyed motorbikes. And so the dream job for me was to be a motorbike journalist. And as soon as I kind of decided this, within two weeks, um, bizarrely, an advert came up in the local advertiser looking for a trainee staff writer for a, for a, an international motorbike magazine. It's one of the top... Uh, international motorbike magazines and uh, top five and um, they were looking for a trainee staff writer wow serendipity uh, there that that was me uh, so I applied for the job and um, of course you know the completely unqualified uh, snotty nosed kid out of school um, and the editor eventually came back to me and said look I'm, I'm really sorry the in fact the owners have decided that um, uh, we can't afford to take anyone on um, which was devastating for me at the time. Um, so I actually, still living at home, I actually offered to 
um, work for nothing if they could pay my expenses just getting to and from the job um, for a period of time, three months, I think it was. Um, and if I proved myself, would they take me on? And so this is an in, an old fashioned internship then, really. Well, yeah, <laughs> an I guess. Yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, and it worked, and he went for it. Um, which was brilliant. And I had a fantastic time. I was making the tea mostly. But I, I did learn stuff. Right. Um, but unfortunately, uh, it was an old IPC magazine which had been bought by um, two individuals who'd set up Oracle on Channel 4. Um, on uh, Yeah, Channel 4. It was a precursor to teletext, really. Um, and, and I think they'd bought the title as a bit of a, a tax loss situation. I don't know. but um, it, Who would it, ever do that? Exactly, terrible. Um, and um, they decided that actually it wasn't working. And after three months uh, of me being there, they shut the title down. Oh, no. So, so dream job disappeared. <laughs> yeah, quick, yeah. As quickly as you'd found that dream job, it disappeared, unfortunately. Um, but I have to say, I mean, the, the editor and the staff there, I, I mean, they were so impressed. I like to think they were so impressed with what I did. They they actually got me a job with another local title, with a, with a, a free sheet newspaper called the Bournemouth Informer. Okay. This was back in 1982-83, a right. uh, long time ago. But there, there were a number of free sheet newspapers um, around uh, in Dorset at that time. There's the Bugle, the Advertiser, which is the only one that's still going, really, um, and uh, the Bournemouth Informer. Um, and so I went to work there, and I was there for, for the next three years and loved it. So how does a – I was going to say wannabe journalist, but that would be insulting. How, would, how does a journalist then become <laughs> – it's into not, a dry laundry and a kind of a dry, dry cleaning, cleaning laundry. It's not a natural progression. It's but, not um, the normal <laughs> thing that would happen. So what happened then? Well, uh, it, the newspaper was owned by a really colourful character called Robert Catling. He was a great, great, um, a, a lovable rogue. Um, I enjoyed working for him. It was great fun. I mean, his, his brief to the editorial department, uh, me, was um, write anything you like. Make it as, you know... Uh, um, What's the word? Uh, outrageous as you like, as controversial as you, you, you like, uh, just to have fun. Um, I just want to sell advertising, um, which is what he, what he did um, incredibly well. In fact, he sold more advertising than they could print, which was the plan, which uh, unbeknownst to me. Yeah. Uh, so they were double, triple selling the advertising sometimes. And, and um, that caught up with him. And... <laughs> As uh, those things normally do. After three so years, I mean, characters yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He he did actually do a stretch, I think. Um, I heard after that, but um, um, yeah, we had um, uh, Roger Cook, who uh, I don't know if you remember the Cook yeah, Report on yeah. on Channel Four. Uh, before then, back in nineteen, this has been nineteen eighty five, eighty four, eighty five, eighty six, something like that. Um, it was on um, Radio Four, um, and Roger Cook came after. My boss, Roger Catley, and, and the the classic scenario where he cornered him in a cul-de-sac um, in his Jaguar and um, knocking on his window and saying, oh, Mr. Catley, Mr. Catley, is it true that you mean um, to lots of profanities coming from the other side of the, the Jaguar's window from from Roger Catley? Um, it, was, uh, it was a great period, great fun, but unfortunately that came to an end. Inevitable, end. what <laughs> the sound of it. <laughs> Uh, but I'd learned a lot, and it was um, it was a great experience, and that led me into um, creating my own publication, which was actually a discount 
membership club. Um, so I would sell advertising to lots of services uh, locally. This started in Bournemouth and, and grew out to sort of Dorset. Um, mainly restaurants um, because they, they were ripe for advertising. Um, but there were garages, um, MOT centres, tyre places, uh, all sorts of services. Um, where they would advertise in my members' booklet um, and provide a discount to all my members. So I'd give away, feverishly giving away membership everywhere and then sell the advertising. And and back then in the late 80s, um, it was loads of money time. It really was. It was fantastic. So literally walk up the street going from, from vendor to vendor and just, just selling the advertising. Life seemed easy then. Uh, As a first business was, venture on your own, well, life yeah, seems yeah, quite I thought this sales business is really easy, really easy. Well, it was in the 80s. It was great. Um, uh, and we did publish all the adverts. You did that business. We did, yeah. It was Good. an I'm honest, it was an honest business. That I know you have now existed then. Yeah, well, then. I wonder actually if, if, if part of uh, my integrity actually comes from the lessons I learned from Roger Cat. Yeah. So uh, bless him. Um uh, yes, so so that's what occurred there, um, and that t- took me right up to 1989, oh. when the the bubble burst, um, and uh, anyone who's old enough remembers that we went into the most awful recession. Um, I think I, I don't think we've had one yeah, as bad. Very very sharp, very quick, very it? severe. We'll talk about 2007, eight onwards, but and that was a bad long period of downturn. It but was. the ni- 1989 recession, I mm. just started my first job. Just got my first job. Right. And it all went wrong. Right. Yeah. Okay. But it was um, really sharp, wasn't it? And it was. It was. Interest rates went through the roof. Something that, you you, you know, we can't even imagine interest no. rates like that now. Yeah. Uh, the oil price went through the roof. And it, it was it was horrendous. The first thing that goes um, for any business, any anyone in business will know, advertising generally is the first thing that, that is cut from your budget. Not necessarily the right thing, but it is no. the first thing to go. It, yeah. it invariably is, unfortunately. But um, so, so that was it. Uh, literally overnight, um, my business ended. Oh um, so uh, I rang up my dad. Okay. And so, how's things for you? Uh, <laughs> not so good for me. Uh, and they weren't so good for, for him either. But he had a driver going on holiday, needed some help. Um, I'll do that for cash. <laughs> right. So, um, gradually, I got sucked into the laundry business. Got sucked into the family business. That's how it happened. Wow. And how long had your dad been running the business? Um, he had set up his uh, the, the company, which... Ultimately, I ended up buying. He set that up in 1966. Okay. So it had been going for for quite a while. Uh, The family has been in the business for um, some time. I'm third generation. I was going to say, what generation are you? So you're third generation. Third generation. Cleaning and laundry business. My grandfather was uh, very big in dry cleaning. Um, He had a very large company, um, National. He had three factories producing dry cleaning through um, hundreds of outlets up and down the country um, across a number of... Um, brands and companies. Um, he 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 was very big in the industry and actually sold um, the company at uh, quite an early stage. Uh, I think he was younger than me, which is yeah. very irritating. <laughs> um, but he he sold the company and and most of his company went to make up um, what became Sketchly Dry Cleaners, okay. uh, which is a name from the past. Um, it. Um, uh, that grew into, you know, that was quite a well-known. Yeah, it was definitely. the biggest dry cleaners um, in the world at one time. But um, um, so, uh, when my father started, it was very, very much smaller. 
Um, and when I got involved, um, we, we were mainly dry cleaning and had three shops um, okay. locally and um, a tiny little laundry doing um, a few uh, council homes and that sort of thing. We'll come back to the story in a minute. Is there a burden at all on you that you are third generation in the industry? Does that carry any weight on your shoulders? Or uh, That's interesting. I think... Um, I think I always had this drive to prove myself to my father. Okay. So there was something there from a very early stage I needed to prove myself. Okay. Um, uh, whether whether the, it is, is a natural thing in families, I don't know. But I think uh, I very much wanted to do my own thing. I was very driven to prove myself. Yeah. Um, coming into the family business, um, I definitely was driven to make it work and do yeah. it better, um, if I could. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. I've, I have to say, I've never really explored it too much. In, no, in it's just one of those interesting things, isn't it? Yeah. Is, is what burden does it carry when you are second, third, fourth generation, and mm. perhaps not necessarily in the business, but within an industry, and it's something that your family's done, it's something your family succeeded in before. That mm. has to put some weight on your shoulders, Matthew. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't. I've never really seen that. I think the the overriding thing for me was I wanted my dad to be proud of me. Wow, that was the biggest driver. Okay, I don't know if I ever succeeded. Anyway, okay. <laughs> if Matthew's dad does listen to the podcast, please pick up the phone and give him a call. <laughs> Let him know either way. Um, so, but so you got involved in the family business. Not something you ever planned. Far from being, you know, that motorcycle journalist very quickly adapted to being in the family business and the dynamic between kind of father-son in the business? How did that work? Um, yeah, I, I mean, our relationship was always a little fractious in the business, but I did get on um, and find my way quite quickly, actually. Um, and he gave you the space to do that? He, he to a certain extent, okay. yes, to a certain extent. Um, I, in, initially, it was... It was um, it was difficult. I wanted to do more than than actually I could, but I was very much learning the business. Um, went all over the business and and did everything, yeah. every aspect of it um, in in the first few years and learned everything. Um, and, and actually, after three or four years, um, it became very much easier, and he became quite reliant on me um, okay. and, and um, trusted me to get on and do certain things. Um, it was a while before I could actually um, make the kind of decisions that I wanted to make. Yeah. Um, but um, but it did, did progress to that pretty well, interesting. actually. It comes with experience and trust, though, doesn't it, as anybody yeah. coming into a new business. But sure. it's interesting what you've said there because obviously having worked over the years with a number of family businesses, those that seem to succeed and the next generation take it forward did do exactly what you did. They, they get involved in every part of the business from ground up yeah. they don't just come in at a senior yeah. level it they actually learn the industry and get the respect of the yeah. team that's already there yeah. by doing everything and learning everything i think in the right with the right dynamic it is um it is an incredible opportunity for the business and the individuals and the family um i certainly worked harder than than uh, than i would have done in a company that wasn't family um because I was driven to prove something to my father, um, I worked for a rate that I would never have done what I did for, for anyone else. Um, and that carried on far longer than it should have done. But, That's uh, true of most family businesses uh, as well. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was raped like any, any <laughs> child going into the family business. Um, 
but um, but you you live with the the opportunity of of ha- well, having the opportunity to really make something of it. Um, and it, I, after ten years, I I was actually um, it, it had become I, I wouldn't say intolerable, but I was desperate to get on and and really open my wings myself. And I felt very very constrained um, to the point that actually I did. Um, I did say I was leaving and I was making plans to um, do go else. elsewhere, do something else. Wow. That's not an easy conversation to have with a parent. No. no. Um, and, and is that uh, how the buyout then took place? Yes. I mean, it was, it was, it ac- absolutely flicked a switch. And um, it, it, I think it, it, it created a realization for my parents that, um, that wasn't there before that yeah. actually. Uh, they had rather taken me for granted, which is something that happens in family businesses. Um, and uh, yes, that changed everything. So we we um, managed a situation where I could purchase the business. Okay. Um, and this was about nineteen. This was in nine. This was in two thousand. Yeah. Okay. So ninety nine, two thousand. So right. I bought the business. I think in in May, uh, April, April first, two thousand. I think. It was. Wow. Good day. Momentous uh, day. Uh, yeah, momentous day. Scary day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very scary day. You know, I had an opportunity, and that—that that was the. Yeah, you had your wings at that point, didn't you? Uh, it, it was um, yes, absolutely yes. So it was down to me. So so very scary, mm. um, very exciting, um, and um, yeah, absolutely. And what yeah, does the business look and feel like at that stage? Bef- you know, that sort of in that month or two before you took it on, compared to what it looked like, let's say. 12 months 24 months after you've taken it oh interesting i i think um i think it's more the difference would be in how i felt okay. and my confidence with the business um yeah. it was about um everyone in the business is about their mindset getting behind the fact that now i own the business uh as opposed to my father um and um, how we were all going to work together. So it, I had to create a whole different team feeling. So I had to get them on side, um, and that was an interesting journey. But but um, uh, I, I think what I was able to do is build a really really good team very early. Um, I had some great staff there um, who who got behind me. So you think it was culture that you changed most? Uh, yes, I think it did. I think I I, I had spent quite a lot of time uh, looking at other businesses. Um, I. I had you know briefly my own experience but i definitely wanted to um i think because i had the energy i i wanted to modernize um a whole look and feel and a lot of our systems and um i uh, i set about doing that and it was within about six months i'd created a whole um plan and vision for where i wanted it to be and uh, addressed all the staff with that um and that really was the galvanizing point um bringing the whole company the whole team together and that was great fortunately did that at an early stage and we were able to progress quite rapidly after that looking back now on that kind of just for anybody that is looking to acquire a business is acquiring a family business or not that one thing you'd have done differently having sort of acquired the business um a uh, bit more due diligence before i purchased okay. <laughs> <laughs> no i i had a great opportunity and um uh, what would i do differently um i i i don't know i think i went very blindly into the situation but it worked okay 
Um, Sometimes so, that enthusiastic naivety and that passion yeah, and belief. Bl- blind ambition. Do. There is nothing wrong with blind ambition sometimes. Yeah. yeah, well, it's that gut and that drive and that ambition that gets you through the tough times, doesn't mm. it? And, yeah. Okay. Mm. So where does the story then lead? So this is 2000. So Yep, 2000. Uh, so so then uh, I think I think the numbers, if, I, uh, if I've got this correct, so when I got involved with the business, which was in 1990, um, we were turning over about half a million, 600,000. By 2000, because it was coming out of the recession and it was a long, slow recovery, um, we were turning over, when I purchased the business, about a million or just shy of a million. Okay, so doubled the business in 10 years. Yes. Um, and then between 2000 and 2005, I took the turnover up to 2.4 million. Wow. Um that was a mixture of acquisition and, and drive and just getting the team together and operating. And the mix of the business, dry, more dry cleaning? Uh, more laundry. laundry. More we, laundry. we went much more laundry and concentrated on domestic laundry. Where So the growth of my business overall, um, uh, particularly at this period and right up until fairly recently, has been um, from concentrating on domestic laundry, where at that time the rest of the industry, which... Um, which was a split between domestic and uh, industrial. Now, the, the difference there is industrial laundry is looking after hotels and restaurants. Um, domestic is looking after private end users. And we were an old-fashioned, and there were a few of them at the time, we were an old-fashioned domestic laundry, uh, which is doing the, you know, which has happened for the last 200 years, collection and delivery of laundry door-to-door. Mm. Um, we take it to the laundry, process it, and send it back the next week. Um Everyone was getting out of that. So laundries were becoming more industrial um, because it required less staff um, uh, and it, it was simpler. Uh, there was, you know, you had more standard items. So you put a thousand sheets through that were all the same rather than, um, you know, individual customers which were all different. It was, it was less complicated. So everyone was going that route. Um, so I saw an opportunity to absolutely go on the domestic route and be able to grow fairly quickly by acquiring domestic laundries which is what i did um and then very quickly realized the reason they were getting out was because it was <laughs> <Tough> <laughs> industry to be in. very very tough uh very labor intensive it, it was and you know expensive to operate um and but is that business more about the service and relationships very much so very much very yeah products and yeah, delivery communication with your customers service and and quality of the product that you're producing is is paramount and absolutely key um in industrial laundry yeah. um you don't have to be so good at those things um so um so they were taking the easy road i took the hard route um but it absolutely worked and allowed me to grow the business in that first five years um as i say we went from uh, a million up to 2.4 million phenomenal growth must be really proud of that achievement. It, it was great. It was fantastic. I mean, I was still, I, I, actually, it happened, and it happened relatively quickly. Um, I was still busy wanting, I still wanted, you know, I still had my targets on the 5 million. Yeah. Um, so I, I was just halfway through the journey. I was still driving. So I didn't really stop and okay. enjoy it and yeah. think about it. Enjoy the moment. No. Smell the coffee. No. Uh, I was still driving. And I, and I would have carried on, but... Um, uh, Unfortunately, it was one Tuesday afternoon on the 21st of September at um, two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, we had an electrical fault which created a fire and um, burnt the factory to the ground oh my God. Uh, within 45 minutes. Pretty horrific situation. Yeah. So where were yeah. you when you got that call? Um, 
I was I was actually in the building when uh, well we'd had a small fire. Um, I I had been out because I'd had some staff. We had a branch in Andover, and they'd come down, and I was showing them around the business, taking them to other branches. And I actually arrived back at the laundry um, at about one o'clock, and with these with these staff from Andover, and um, everyone was on the street. They'd been evacuated out of the building because we'd had a small fire. I I went into the building. The fire had been put out. Uh, The fire 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 brigade were on site, um, and were just lifting bits of roof space or whatever and they had the heat guns in there and they were looking for any hot spots and basically clearing the building and it, it was everybody was safe everyone was safe everyone was out of the building and there was no fire um i was walking through uh, the main factory space with the fire chief and we suddenly heard this crackling in a roof space above us and he got one of the the one of his fire brigade to uh, go up a ladder and as the guy lifted a panel he just dropped down. He didn't bother climbing down the ladder. He just right. dropped to the ground and they said, get out, she's going. And they grabbed me and pulled me out of the building Gone. and it just went. And within 45 minutes, it burnt yeah. to the ground. Gone completely. Um, pretty horrific. Yeah, crumbs. Um, I mean, yeah, and, and your business then was predominantly the laundry rather than the dry cleaning of yes, the shops. Yes, yes, it, it was at that stage. Wow. Um, yes, we did. Come away more from dry cleaning, and we were, you know, ninety ninety seven percent laundry was in that building. So, so instantly, forty five minutes. Yes, it was a bit of a problem. It was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm still kind of gobsmacked to hear that. Uh, and what do you do next at that moment? Well, where do you find that? Yeah, fortunately, I, inclination I, is to make the next step. Uh, unfortunately, I had. Um, you got responsibilities and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, you don't get time to think, really. No. <laughs> um, it, it, right, contingency. Bang. What do you do? Um, fortunately, I, I had friends in the industry. Uh, we got all our customers looked after by um, four other laundries that that rushed in to help me. Right. Thank heavens. Um, friends in your business. Friends, friends in, in the industry, business. which yeah. you know we yeah. all talk about competitors. But one of the lessons yeah. that take from that that. Is oh, we, yeah. we need to be friends with those Abs- that we absolutely. compete with at the same time. You never know when you're going to need them. Yeah. Um, and boy, did I need them then. And um, it was it was great. They were fantastic. Um, it. it um, I, I mean, this, this is a valuable lesson here. You've got to have a contingency for yeah. the worst happening. You've got to know what you're going to do. Um, uh, and but did you have a proper disaster, you know, disaster recovery plan? And was it? Um, that entrepreneurial spirit never, at that moment. That never believed. In. Oh, no, it was the entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> spirit that kicked in. <laughs> kicked okay. in. No, Thank you I, for being honest. <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, you know, I wish I could say in my drawer, if you open okay. my top left drawer, pull out, there's an envelope there which says contingency plan, uh, which you should have. And and I do, I have to say, now in my mind, that contingency plan you is there. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have it in my top drawer, and I, I should do, because if something happened to me, then yeah. then that's an issue. So thank you for reminding me. I need to update that. Um, but uh, y- yes, I, I knew what to do um, instinctively, really, and um, I was very lucky that I had people come to, come to, the, uh, come to help. Uh, within uh, 48 hours, we'd had every customer, every one of our customers looked after and being serviced. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't sustainable because by that time we we were producing so much volume of um, domestic work that there was no other laundry that could actually look after what we were doing. Even the four laundries. You'd made those acquisitions. You'd taken out the local competitors. Absolutely. 
Right. Yeah, we we had um, half of our work was uh, being looked after in London. Um, we had two local laundries and one in Woking that was uh, looking after us. So between them, they just couldn't cope with what we had, um, and particularly uh, you know the quality that yeah. we were producing. So um, over the following three months, um, at the same time as being in negotiations with the insurers who were trying to okay. wiggle out of um, right. paying the claim. Um, we had to shed, I think it was about £1.3 million pounds worth of our turnover I lost, right. um, which was picked up and by... The other turnover that was being fulfilled that wasn't from the dry laundry must have been at very low margins, I assume, because you're subcontracting it out. Well, yes, yeah, absolutely, so, yes. Yeah. So so we, we were losing money hand over fist. So by, by the time I had actually sorted things out with the insurers and we knew we were going to continue and I had made plans for how we were going to go forward... Um, uh, and for the following year after that, we were hemorrhaging money. By two thousand, late 2006, we were still losing £1,000 a day. A day? A day we were, we were losing. Um, so uh, seven £8,000 a week just Wait. siphoning away from the business. Um, because, we, because of how we were set up with um, our, our gearing at the time, we were still carrying costs, very heavy costs. Um, and... Um, the way we were operating um, was very, very unprofitable. Yeah. Um, but it was sustaining a business. It was sustaining a business. Could turn around. Yes, it was. It was a matter of time. Um, so what the insurers did, they it, it was a three and a half million pound claim. Um, it, uh, my mistake was being with a Lloyd syndicate, um, which I would never do again. It was a syndicate of eleven members, none of whom wanted to pay the claim, right. and wriggled. Um, they, Was I, that the true value of what the claim should have been? Well, three and a half million. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Right. That so was, they did put the, out that, was, that was from an, uh, an assessor's perseverance. They paid out in full. No. Oh. Okay. Um, I had uh, an insurance um, lawyer in the background who was saying um, it's absolutely illegal and wrong what they're doing, um, but they will take you to the court steps and pay out. Uh, they know what they're doing. Right. It's it's an so ugly game. It was an ugly game. Yes, they were they were trying to and and this whether it happens now I don't know, but this this right. happens. Um, it's an ugly ugly business. Um, uh, and this was my my second big lesson is um, you know you look after your insurance, make sure you're insured well. I understand a huge amount about insurance now, um, uh, rather late unfortunately, but uh, it's a three and a half million pound claim. I I uh, they. The insurance lawyer said to me, um, they will pay, no problem at all, but it's going to take 18 months, uh, a year to 18 months to get to court, and it will probably cost you about a quarter of a million. Can you afford the time and the money? And I said, I'm going to be bust in within two months. Right. Um, so they said, right, get get them to the table, and the, you know, they'll just, just agree Go what you can. Yeah. So I did a deal, walked away with 1.25 million. Oh, my God. It's a little bit of a loss, bit of a shortfall. It's a bit of a shortfall. Yeah, it's a nasty game. Um, it's a horrible game, um, and um, but it's it's survival. It's the one you had to pay. Yeah, it's the survival is everything. And where did you find? You know, there's the kind of modern phrase for it is resilience, isn't it? But that gut determination and perseverance and bloody mindedness to get through that period was. Um, well, I, a fear of failure, I think, um, okay. or, or is it stupidity? I, I don't know. Was there, <laughs> there must have been a moment when you looked in the mirror 
and, and probably more than one occasion and thought, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. Well, I went through hell between 2005 and 2010, really. Okay. Um, uh, and many, many times I wondered why the hell I was carrying on. Yeah. Um, we came out of that situation. I, um, I made a few wrong decisions in terms of our restructuring and how we were coming back, um, which delayed uh, the, the journey to the second success, really. But um, uh, I, I, we, we came out of that and then went into another recession, 2008, which just compounded what was already an a awful situation. Time, yeah. Yes. Um, so uh, really kind of went through a kind of hell. Um, but um, And the bank were looking to foreclose. Um, went into special measures with the bank, um, who who were going through a rough time themselves, but um, self induced, self self induced, <laughs> um, and, and rather taking it out on business. Yeah. So I, I was bloody lucky to survive that, I have to say. But um, I had a senior relationship manager who was based in Kruger, but would come down every week, and we'd go and have lunch. He was a fabulous guy. Really enjoyed him. Old-fashioned um, banker, by the way. An old-fashioned banker, yeah. I, d I don't think any of them exist anymore. But um, he was great, and he believed in me and um, gave me time wow. and um, gradually managed to turn the situation around. Um, um, and then following 2010, things started okay. to, to get better and better. So just effect on you personally? You know, that whole experience and that whole period of your life and your business journey, you know, one of those things is about holistic successes that we talk about at Evolve and it's, you know, passion about it. It's trying to get that balance between business and personal in an equilibrium. Mm. That must have been really tough, Matthew. Um, How did you, did you have any balance or was it purely no. business? It, it was... Uh, I, I did have balance, unfortunately. One side was the business, and I was very on it, all over it, up to a point. Um, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. So I, I was on that in terms of the recovery and rescuing the situation. I was very on to that. Outside of the business, I was terrible at looking after myself. And yeah. um, I have to say that, that alcohol played a... a a major part in keeping me going <laughs> um uh i and not not to you know to the extent that it was yeah. um you know but it was a damaging but it was a crutch for me at the time um uh so i i it was just about survival and it was about getting by um i you know i could have handled things so much better but i think it's really there's no lessons yeah hindsight's always the wonderful thing isn't it and uh -huh. you know but there is no yeah um, I I had um, I, I think I'm very open to um, all sorts of opportunities that are out there and there are opportunities that come up for everyone all the time not everyone sees them not everyone takes them um, and I do think one of my one of my saving graces is that I actually do see opportunities okay. and um, and I'm fortunate enough to to take some good ones and I'm stupid enough to do some bad ones but at least I, I try yeah, put a step forward and I put a step forward and that them. has helped me massively and uh, one in particular I had a friend who offered me an opportunity to um, turn my life around um, going on a going on a course it was actually a, a, an Anthony Robbins okay. course yeah uh, and I vaguely heard of Anthony Robbins 
friends and she said to me uh, a great friend she said to me um look i i have this course is available um you you would absolutely benefit from it um have you heard of tony robinson so well i think i have he's this lifestyle american (laughs) guru thingy um and she said, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I said, well, you know, I, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know. If oh, by the way, it's in, in Fiji. I said, yes, sign me up. I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> when do we fly? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, it, it turned my life around. Wow. It really did, because it gave me a slap around the face about how I was handling my okay. life. And I was about to say, you know, in what way did it turn your life around? Just the moment of self-realization or Partly. tools? Self-realization, tools, um, definitely um, how to look after myself, health, wealth, okay. well-being. Yeah. Um, so uh, how to look after myself, um, so important. It's the foundation of everything. You know, you get your health right first. And yeah. Then. We neglect ourselves too easily when we're in business, mm. don't we? Because we, we do. put everything else in front of our own mm. personal well-being. Mm. Absolutely. And that's not sustainable. No. Um, uh, so it, it was that, a few tools, a lot of tools, in actual fact. Yeah. Um, um, which uh, have been phenomenal, and and once you've learned them subconsciously, you you are living them and using them all the time. Uh, quite amazing. Um, so yes, I mean that that was amazing. If I hadn't had that opportunity, if I hadn't gone for that opportunity, um, then maybe things wouldn't have turned out as well yeah. as as they did. Yeah. Um, well, should we move on to that then? So sure. 2010 onwards. You know, you start to touch on it just now. Yes. Yeah, what, 2000... What's happened since? Uh, well, I, I think we started to, um, albeit five years too late, started to get the strategy right um, where the business was going, um, and uh, we moved back into profitability um, very, very mildly. Um, uh, it, it's been a battle ever since, really, because we've been battling um, successive governments' drive to um, push minimum wage up which uh, which i don't have a problem with people earning um more money um but i just think they should work for it um uh i, I believe in a, a fair day's work for a fair day's pay um or a hard day's work for a fair day's pay um and we are very labor intensive very labor intensive so it, it was has always been a struggle since 2010 however we have got the strategy right and we have got busier and busier um we have gone off on new business ventures as well which okay. uh, have been successful and good um and i'm happy to say now that um i'm probably more pleased with how the business is than i've ever been wow and why is that what are the three things that you're most proud of the business as it stands right now um well very definitely what is what is core to the success um right now is the involvement um of all my staff okay it's the team um they make my life um so much easier um because they they they're all up for the challenge so it's been um a big part of the evolution is has been learning to um to really harness that the the main uh, part of the business which is the staff um which i have to say is something i learned quite early on um but as the years have gone past i've learned how to do it better okay right so that's um number one number two and three oh what was the question again <laughs> what are the things you're most proud of 
in terms of those achievements. So one number one's the team. Okay, team, yeah. Um, I think I've learned a huge amount, uh, particularly more recently, about um, about marketing and branding, which okay. I'm really enjoying that journey at the moment. Um, I believe that uh, we've created a um, a good, strong brand now, which um, uh, and it's still an evolving um, evolving animal that brand uh, and i'm enjoying that journey so okay. i think that's an incredibly powerful it's thing it's becoming really. more and more important isn't it for our independent businesses to have that recognized brand and what they truly stand mm. for and to be able to compete yes with the big internationals uh, and i really believe now that um if you get it right a brand is actually stronger than the product that you're actually producing the product has to be absolutely right absolutely right um and good but what when you've got a strong brand you can go off in all sorts of directions with that. It has a huge amount of power. You can destroy it very quickly as well yeah. if you don't get it right. Yeah. But, um, but I think, and I'm enjoying that journey. I think that's, I think, um, you know, the whole marketing and branding. Um, yeah. And the royal want, it must be a big part of that. That is a major part of that. That really helps. Um, How does and, that come about? Can, How do you actually get a royal want? Uh, just be by being brilliant. One. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> being modest um, as well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, actually, it, it's um, it, it took a long time to get that. Um, we were fortunate enough to take on in 2015. Um, no, what about it? Was, it was t- uh, not 2015, uh, 2005. Um, funnily enough, just before the fire, okay. um, we we took on uh, His Royal Highness Prince of Wales. We took on uh, Highgrove House and have been looking after that ever since. Uh, and in fact, there were quite a lot of his items which were ruined in the fire. Okay. Um and he he actually it was a friend of mine in London who holds royal warrants in London and looks after a lot of the royal family up there. Um, met Prince Charles in I think it was two thousand and seven. It was a couple of years after the fire, and um, he met him. Prince Charles said, oh, "You you're the chap who uh, burnt all my sheets." <laughs> I said, uh, no, sir, that was a friend of mine, Matthew Barker. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, we, we've been looking after them for, for a long time, uh, Highgrove House. We have a great relationship with Highgrove House, um, and they are, I have to say, they're great customers. Um, really, really enjoy them. Um, and um, it, it was a matter of time and them being happy with the service and the consistency and everything that um, got us the accreditation. You know what, I'm going to give number three as being your royal warrant, the thing that you're proud of. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you find your inspiration now? You know, you're 20 years, you know, you're, over 20 years in the industry, you're 20 years into being an owner-manager, running your own business, and having overcome those enormous challenges along the way. Where What gets you up in the morning? Where do you find that inspiration to drive the business forward? I think it's, uh, I think it's the stuff around the business. I'm still driven um, for us to be the best at whatever we're doing. Um, I believe that we are, in our industry, um, the best. Um that's been hard fought and I want to keep that. So that keeps me going. So it's about motivating all the staff and getting that right. I still get a kick out of, you know, the team being on it and all over it and, and keeping that right. So, so that, um, partly and the new aspects of the business, we're now into manufacturing clothing. We manufacture bed linen, um, and and that's a journey. It's a whole new type of business, and that that gives me a kick. I enjoy that. So that's that drives that me. Kind of spirit, that entrepreneurial, that wanting to achieve something new in sort of diverse, I guess, areas of the business. I see. I guess that's it. 
I guess that's it. And that kind of feeds back to my my piece about the the brand and yeah. the strength of that. So it's using that brand, leveraging that brand yes. in different areas yeah. that are similar. Yes, I but mean it not w- too diverse, but similar to yeah. the core business. It's um we we're we're in the fabric care fabric delivery business, so textile business, or, um, schmutter trade. <laughs> and what hard thing are you not doing enough of right now? What hard thing? What hard thing are you doing enough of right now? Um, I I think I could be much much more. In, involved in the business every day um, and can drive it harder but it's about balance um, I I think I could take the business so much further than actually I'm going to yeah. at the time because I'm finding a balance between um, enjoying myself um, balancing my free time with the business and it's working for me so I'm happy. And that comes back to that, what we talked about 10, 15 minutes ago about holistic success, isn't it? Success sure. isn't just having this booming no, business. Absolutely. It's having this balance in life where you're happy in business and happy with your personal life. Yes. Doing the other things that you love to do. Mm. Um, absolutely. So I just want to wrap up the podcast. Just one of the reasons I wanted to interview for you for this podcast was just be, uh, for Christmas a few months ago. Um heard you speak and you spoke really passionately for five, 10 minutes around this term that you termed ethical capitalism. Mm. So for the listeners, do you want to explain what you mean by ethical capitalism? I, I like to call it ethical capitalism. Um, it, it's commonly known uh, right now as corporate social responsibility, CSR, um, which sounds like quite a dull expression in business you know it's something that that um it feels like a big business tick the box exercise tick the box you have to you have to do it you know what is your csr what is your corporate social responsibility piece um no 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 it's much much more than that this is something that i I find essential and something which i'm i am as you say very passionate about in my business um and this is part of uh, engaging uh, not just your staff, because it's really important uh, a way of engaging your staff in the business, uh, but engaging your customers as well. So it's a kind of tie. So I see um, corporate social responsibility from from a business owner's point of view as a good tie to bring the whole business, which is your customers, your staff, uh, together. Um, through doing the right thing. So, so we do a number of things. We support um, local rugby team. We um, we have a charity actually, which we we support greatly. Um, My time for young carers, um, and we look after our staff uh, as well. We have um, uh, an ethos within the business of of it's very much a family business, and if if they have issues, um, the door is open, um, and we we have good relationships with our staff, and we do help them with their. Yeah. If they have issues, we're there. Um, that is all really, really important. Um, on, a, on a kind of bigger scale, and why I kind of refer to it as um, uh, as ethical capitalism is that I I strongly believe that um, y- you know the, the the society, the economic society that we live in, which is a capitalist society, is is albeit imperfect. It is the best of a bad lot. Um, and there is a lot of bad press for business, which comes mainly from the behaviour of a lot of large corporations. Yeah. Um, but we're all SMEs. We're we're all tarred with the same brush, and and really, 
we don't need to put up with that. And I think there is an opportunity for us to actually make capitalism a really good word. Yeah. If we operate in an ethical way, do the right thing, which is which is very easy to do. Um, it's great for business and it's not, it's not, you know, it's great for everyone. It's great for society, isn't it? It's great for society. Everyone wins. Everyone wins. Um, so let's not do over our staff. Let's not do over our customers. Yeah. Let's um, be part of our communities in which we live yes, and breathe and absolutely. operate. Yeah. It's like going backwards, really. You know, yeah. there was a time in the world when communities were very strong and, and yeah. everyone would look after each other. And I, I you know, I, I think we should be going yeah. backwards in many respects. Passionately believe in what you're saying. I remember it was a few years ago, but I heard Lord Digby Jones say, there's no problem. This country's got to get away from the issue being beating people up because they're making wealth they're creating wealth they're making money the, the issue is what you do with it yes. once you create that profit and that wealth. absolutely and that's what i think absolutely you really mean by ethical capitalism absolutely yeah yeah uh, and money you know making money wealth is not a dirty word you know we need yeah. we need entrepreneurs we need to drive and this country has been really successful about it and it's such a shame that successful people get such a bad rap in this this country it's right. wrong it is thank you matthew so uh, it's been great having you on as a guest. What an amazing journey and story you've been on. Good luck in the years ahead. Thank you for touching at the end on that piece around ethical capitalism. If people want to find out a bit more about Matthew Barker and, and your business, where can they go? Where can they go to find out more? Uh, easiest thing, visit the website, which is barkergroup.co.uk. That's barkergroup.co.uk. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. Wow, what a journey and a tale of resilience and perseverance to succeed with so many lessons for us all. In speaking with Matthew, I was energised by his openness and honesty relating to the extreme challenges that he has faced and overcome. It was also interesting to hear him speak about the effects that the stress and strains of being a business owner can have upon you. Something I have personally experienced and resonated with. Finally, Matthew's views on ethical capitalism are ones that I'm passionate that all in business should take on board and act upon. If you want access to further insightful content and inspiration, then please go to evolvemembers.com and register for free to get access to the Evolve community. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and if so, please do rate, review, and subscribe to future episodes. I look forward to you joining me again next week. Thank you for listening.